0: Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Chip Pryor. I'm the Creative Arts Director here, if you didn't know, and I'm really honored to speak with you today. Uh, so i got a question. I got a question for everybody. Um, you don't have to raise your hand or anything like that, but how many of you like to play games? How many of you guys like to play games? There's one person in the back who proudly raised his hand with that, you know, a proud gamer, a couple of those people. Now, when I said games to you, you probably thought, if you do like to play games, you probably had some kind of filter for that. So maybe the first thing you thought of was, like, video games. You know, you play your PlayStation or your Xbox. Or maybe you're more of a board game person. You know, you like the old-school Monopoly or Catan. Did I pronounce that right? Okay. You know, things like that. So serious board games. Or maybe card games. Maybe you're, like, you got a poker club or something like that. Or Cars Against Humanity. Is that a card game? I don't know. I've never played it. And um, maybe games on your phone. Right. Um, This will be worth the price of you coming to to church today. I'm going to give you an an app in the app store. It's free, and I bet none of you have this. It's called the game that we all love to play, the waiting game. All right. So this is what it is, the waiting game, because we all love to play the waiting game. Who came up with that term, by the way? The waiting game. It's not a game at all. No one likes to play the waiting game. But this app, if you, uh, the concept is very simple. You just hold down a button, and then it just counts off seconds. And so it's just a, like a test to see how long you can sit there and do nothing and just hold down a, a button. So I, I tried it out, I made it to like 20 seconds, and this thing has like six downloads, so you guys should all go and like download today and just give this guy some love, Michael Samen or something like that. Why, why come up with that, I don't know. No one likes to play the waiting game. All right, I have some stats for you. This is gonna be really depressing. Okay, so Americans spend 37 billion hours each year waiting in lines, 37 billion hours waiting in lines. Now per person, that amounts to six months of your life waiting in line for things. Six months! Uh, Here's how it breaks down, 32 minutes whenever they visit the doctor. Some of you guys would be happy to wait 32 minutes, sometimes it's a lot longer for that at your doctor's appointment. 28 minutes on average waiting in line for security when they travel. 21 minutes for a significant other to get ready when you're going out. There's another, there's another term for that, by the way. That's, that's a lady. I probably should have pronounced that correctly. It's latee, L-A-T-I-E. You know, because guys can be latees as well. Uh, pretty much, by the way, every couple, for some reason, there's one latee. And one non-lady. Like every, there's, I've never met a couple that has like two ladies or two non-ladies. It just doesn't, doesn't happen. So, uh, 13 hours annually wasted, or I should say waiting on hold for customer service. <sighs> Some of you guys probably eclipsed that maybe even this year. And 50 hours waiting in traffic. And we're kind of in this, I'll call it like a waiting period. We're in this weird sort of waiting period across the globe. And I think that's just analogous for Periods in our life when we're waiting, we're waiting for something to change, or waiting for something good to happen. And here's the, the thing that everyone in this room and everyone that's watching online that we all have in common, is that we have a big thing. We have something that's wrong in our lives, some kind of obstacle, some kind of problem, some kind of situation that's at the forefront of your mind. It's, it's something that might keep you up at night, it's something that stresses you out. We all have this. Some of you would be happy just to have one of those things. Maybe you've got 10 or more. But we all have at least one big thing in our life that's not going so hot. And it might be the only reason you're in church today. It might be because you're just so desperate to hear an answer from, from God or from someone just like, hey, is there any kind of resolution to this? And maybe God has something to say about that. And you're desperately trying to find an answer to your problems and to your obstacles. And just you know being on staff here I'm, I was kind of thinking through the last year of of the people that Rob and I and our the rest of our staff have um, talked with and integrated with and uh, man, you you people are going through some tough tough stuff you know just in this year that we've we've uh, we 've had people who have lost close family members, um, immediate family members uh, to death we 've uh, had Marriages on the rocks, we've had kids estranged from families, Uh, people threatening to be fired from a job they've worked for for years, financial ruin, financial hardship, um, debilitating diseases, maybe it's just a body part not working right. I could go on and on. We get these prayer requests every single week, too. It's like we're all going through something major, something that's the big thing in our life. So what's, what's yours? What's your blank, your big thing? What are you waiting around for? What are you waiting for God to do with that? And maybe it's just something that's just not working out right for you. You know, your hopes and dreams are, aren't coming true, and you're faced with reality that they, they might not ever come true. And maybe you're tempted to just give up, because we hear that a lot too, right? And maybe you think that. just like, well, I just feel like giving up. Um, and you're tempted to, I mean, if you think about giving up, I mean, we don't really have that option other than maybe you know, faking your death or something like that. But we know that's not really an option. So a lot of us, what we do is we numb the pain of that. Uh, not to, because there's all sorts of ways that we do that. You know, but a lot of us resort to, uh, you know, think of your drug of choice. It could be shopping. It could be uh, excess drugs and alcohol. It could be all sorts of things that we use to, to kind of numb and, and mask the pain of the of the disappointment and the hurt and the agony we feel from from things not working out. In life, And we know, we know that doesn't help, you know, but we still do it anyway. We know that drinking more <laughs> uh, is not going to help the situation, but we will do anything just to, to numb that pain uh, when it feels so unbearable, just to ease that tension. And what m- makes it worse is that it seems like everyone's life around us, their, their lives are working out a lot better than ours. You know, maybe that causes you a little bit of, of, uh, of jealousy or being resentful or being angry. Um, this is one of the problems of social media. I, I love social media, I think it's really fun, but, um, but I have the tendency to get on there and just like, man, everyone's going on better vacations than me, they're eating in better restaurants than me, they just got a better car than I do, better life all the way around, and, and sometimes we don't, you know, I'm so old that here's how we used to do that, we used to get an update from people about once a year, right, remember the, remember the Christmas cards? Remember way back then? And one person, you know, in like an overzealous family, would write out like a long, you know, piece of paper and would just say all the th- great adventures that they went on during the year. And then they'd have like a little old and Millsy kind of picture of their perfect little family and their golden retriever and all that kind of stuff. And you're like, you know? But that was just a a once-a-year thing, you know? I wasn't thinking about those people the other 364 days (laughs) of the year. But now, social media, it's like always in front of your face, people giving you updates about how perfect their lives are. And so the tendency is for us to sometimes look inward and think, man, my life doesn't compare to to that. It's not social media's fault, it's just the the way that we bring our humanness into that often. So here's how it, it kind of manifests. Here are some different phrases that maybe you say to yourself or things that you think will be on the screen here. I'll never be happy again. Nothing good can come from this. There's no point of continuing. Those are three kind of despair statements that many of us say to ourselves when we're going through something like this. And when things aren't going our way, um, there's something inside of us I think that blames. Maybe we blame ourselves. Um, But I think there's part of us that sometimes blames God, or at least questions God and his role in this. We question his goodness. We question his acceptance of us. Uh, And here's three things I want to leave, or start to leave with you today, is that God is not absent. God is not a God who is absent. God is also not a God who is angry or disappointed with you. For me those first two things i kind of i kind of get you know for me personally i I don't ever worry that god is not around i don't ever worry that he's angry or disappointed with me because of the cross of christ and my acceptance in him but this third one i I have a problem with Uh, god is not apathetic a lot of times i think well god just doesn't Doesn't care. He's not listening to my prayers. Why are things in my life not working out? I've been praying for this certain thing for for years and I don't see any relief. And it really begins for me to like question, like maybe God is apathetic. And I have to kind of remind myself and hopefully remind all of you that God is not angry. He's not absent and he's definitely not apathetic. And let me tell you this and I want to really, I want you to hear this very, very, um, I really want you to get this. There's no correlation between the circumstances in your life not going according to plan and God's love and God's presence in your life. There's no correlation with that at all. And when God doesn't come through for us, we can become those three things. We can become absent. We can become angry. And we can become apathetic. And we don't want that at all. So that's what I'd like to kind of point with us to us this morning is that um, a life of the opposite of being those things, the opposite of being angry, and, and absent, and apathetic. So no matter what circumstance you're facing in your life right now, you'll be able to show up. You'll be able to show up in your life, not only for yourself, but for others, in love and service towards others because you're not angry and apathetic and, and absent. So what do you do when there's nothing you can do? That's kind of the question that we're trying to get at today. What do you do when there's nothing that you can do? do when you've kind of exhausted all of your resources to try to make this problem this obstacle this 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 thorn in your life go away and when you're waiting on god is kind of the only option when you're just waiting on him so i got to kind of preface this this is sort of 501 level of christianity and way of thinking because it kind of goes against i think our sort of natural uh, ways to think about these things um this isn't just some kind of lame like Positive thinking or pat yourself on the back or anything like that. Uh, not looking at the bright things of, of life. It goes deeper than that. And so I want to break down this passage that Adria read to us earlier. And uh, this was written by the Apostle Paul. If you don't know, Paul was one of the first followers of, of Christ. He wasn't a disciple, he wasn't part of the original 12 of Jesus' gang. Uh, but about two years after Jesus was resurrected, Uh, Paul was, he had an aha moment. He had a miraculous encounter with this risen Christ, and it changed everything about him. And the thing about Paul is that, well, maybe, let me say this. Maybe you think that, if you're really honest with yourself, you think that, you know, Christians are are a pain, you know, and and most of them would, if they could, like, lock them all up or do away with them, that would be a good thing. Well, this was Paul. You're going to love Paul. If, if you've ever had that thought before, because that's what Paul did for his vocation. He uh, locked up Christians, he uh, persecuted them, um, I don't know if he individually tortured them, but he was overseeing that process of ridding the world of this dangerous sect to, to Judaism. And then Jesus and Paul meet, and it changes everything about him. And so he comes to faith, and a little side note, we won't go into this too much, but after Paul becomes a Christ follower, someone who was going one way and persecuting Christians and becomes a Christ follower, there's 18 years of silence, at least in his life. We don't hear anything about what's going on with that. A big, long 18 years of waiting before Paul would start to um, develop and, and work in his ministry. Um, so sometime after that, I don't know if it was during this 18 period, but sometime after that, Paul developed this um, disability. We don't know what it was. We don't know what it was. Uh, some people have theorized that it was his vision, that he was having epileptic, how epilepsy, seizures. He was, um, could be clinically depressed. You know, And if you read through the book of Acts, for instance, I mean, if I, if I went through a tenth of what Paul went through, I would have been clinically depressed as well, too. So Paul was having a rough time. And in 2 Corinthians 12, 7 to 10, Paul writes this, therefore, in order, and so this is kind of his little purpose statement, okay, in order that. In order to keep me from being conceited, I was given. This word given is really interesting. It could be translated a gift or a present, so that God had given Paul this this gift, this, this present. So this was not this was not a curse. And Paul was beginning to see that whatever he was going through that was was terrible and debilitating and, and painful and embarrassing. That he was that God was doing something. He was giving Paul this amazing gift. Now imagine just you know your birthday coming up whenever that is, and someone gave you a, a gift and you open it up, and you're all excited, and inside it was, yay, financial hardship. Thanks for the birthday gift, friend. You know, what if it's a debilitating disease? Yay! You know, marriage on the rocks. Oh, right. I mean, this is the kind of present. This is this 501 level. We've got to begin to see um, pain in a different way, and this is what Paul had grown into as well. Paul writes, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment Me, And this is where thorn in my flesh, thorn in my side comes from. Maybe you've said that before or heard that before. Oh, my boss, thorn in my side. Oh, you know, my kids, I love them all, but there's that one kid, thorn in my side. That's where this comes from. So Paul wrote this, thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. I don't really know what this is, and I kind of looked up trying to figure out what this messenger of Satan was, and it's not really clear what what that or who that was. It could have been Satan himself. It could have been God using Satan. It could have been some demonic activity. It's not really, really clear. But we do know that it was coming there to torment Paul. Uh, That was the the role of this, this messenger. And Paul writes, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Now, this three times, this wasn't just a prayer once at breakfast, once at lunch, once at dinner, and I prayed three times. Uh, these three prayers are like, the word for this is like seasons. These are three long seasons. They could have been years and years for each one of these times where God, or Paul is just pleading with God, please, please take this away from me. Please remove, remove this thorn in my side. Remove this thing from me. And it seems like his motivation for wanting this wasn't even for selfish reasons. It was somehow hampering his, his, his preaching and his ministry. And that's what he was concerned about. And this is pretty interesting. And so, maybe this is a side note, maybe things aren't working for you right now because, well, it might be because, well, if you listen to, (laughs) if you listen to TV preachers, and I'm putting them all on one block, I know there's some good ones, but most of them will tell you that, you know, if things aren't working out in your life right now, you don't have enough faith. You know, that God wants everybody prosperous and and happy and fulfilled and wants you to drive a nice car and have nice clothes and all that kind of stuff. And if if that's the message you get from any TV preacher, you need to, first of all, turn that off. But the second thing I would say to that person, if I could get an audience with them, is just like, you know, Paul was a lot better Christian than you'll ever be. And, And Paul struggled with this, and Paul was given not the answer that he wanted. Here's the answer that God gave to him. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Let me translate that. God gave Paul a big fat no to his prayer. And now, on top of it, that no is this is permanent. There's no hope of me ever taking this away in your life. My grace is sufficient for you, my power is made perfect. In weakness. And Paul goes on to write, Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Look at those words that I highlighted there uh, boasting, uh, gladly delight in? What? what, what? How, how the heck was Paul able to boast in those things? What was he so glad about? What was he able to delight in about that? that? That doesn't make any sense. And if you think about that, that's very un-American. That is definitely not the American way of thinking about boasting in your hardships, right? How many of us want to post on social media about all the, all the crud that we're going through now and, and boast about it? This is great. Being glad about it or delighting in it. It also feels probably kind of unchristian, if that's a word. It doesn't feel like, wow, shouldn't you know God always be giving his followers just a, a comfortable and easy way of life? And so something in us just kind of, it doesn't really resonate with that. And that's why we have to, I think, discipline our our minds and our spirits to be able to kind of begin to see that in a different light. And so leading up to that, I I got a simple homework assignment for you, okay? And it's simply this. Will you begin to consider your adversity as a gift from the loving hand of your Father? This isn't just a little switch that you're going to turn on and do this overnight, but will you just... Just as a start, we just begin to see whatever your big thing is, whatever your obstacle, your problem, whatever hardship you're going through right now, hardships you're going through right now, well, you begin to see those as a gift. And even if you don't believe it, even if you have a hard time believing it, we well, just begin to kind of just see that. And Maybe the way that you can do this is a simple prayer. Um, And maybe just start by doing this. You just say, God, thank you so much for blank. Thank you so much for my debilitating disease. Thank you so much for my marriage that's on the rocks right now. Thank you for my unemployment. Um, You can just, whatever your big thing is, you know, God, thank you so much for that. And maybe a side prayer to that is like, "What, what are you trying to teach me through this? You know, what I, maybe I need to, to be listening more to that. But in the, in the midst of that, I'm going to thank you for that. I'm going to thank, be thankful in all circumstances, and this is one of those as well. I heard this um, message years ago. I don't even know where I heard it from, but the, uh, this preacher said something, and it's always, always stuck with me. And he asked this question of the congregation. And he says, do you want your prayers answered, or do you want God's will for your life? And that was a very convicting question for me because if I'm just being the, the preacher guy, you know, the Sunday school chip here, I'm going to like, well, I just want God's will for my life. Yes, of course, that's me all the time. You know, but if I'm really honest with myself, and I bet if you're honest with yourselves as well too, it's like, I could care less about that. I want my prayers answered. And it'd be really cool if the two of those things aligned. But if it's one or the other, you know, how, most of us, how much of us just want our prayers answered as opposed to what God's actual will for your life is? So here's some things I want to remind you about your, your pain, whatever hardship, whatever obstacle, whatever adversity you're facing right now, is that your pain has a promise. There is a promise attached to that pain that you're going through right now. And it's this, is that God's grace and power are enough for you, that God's grace is sufficient, that Jesus is more than enough for you, and that he will satisfy you. The other thing is that your pain has a, has a purpose, and here's what it is. Here's what it is. Who knows? I don't know. I don't know what your, your pain has. I don't know what your, the purpose of it is. I have no clue. You're going to have to figure that out, if you'll even know what that is. Uh, sometimes God gives us an answer right away with that. Sometimes there's a a season of life that has to go by where we go through the, the hardship and we look back on that and say, oh, I can understand the, the lesson that I was trying to learn or God was trying to teach me through that. Maybe it will be not in this world. Maybe we'll have to wait to ask God face-to-face with that. But whatever that, that is, um, there, there's a purpose with that and we can be assured of that. But um, it'd be good to find out an answer for that. And so I'd implore you to ask God what that is. For you, But just know that, you know, your, your pain has a promise. It does have a purpose. That God doesn't waste anything in your life. That whatever you're going through right now, God didn't make a mistake. Um, there, there's a purpose attached to that. Maybe it's just to help you develop, you know, a sense of more gratitude and thankfulness. Um, maybe like Paul, it's to help you from being conceited. Uh, it's whatever anticipation of the next season of your life is. Maybe he's preparing you for something that's ahead. Because I believe that God is just as concerned with the, the process, um, the, the journey, as your destination. We always just look at the destination, like that's the goal, but God is much more concerned, I would say, in the, in the journey than just the, the destination. So that's my question. Will you begin to just see your pain? Will you begin to see that with a promise and with a purpose of that? And if you do, I believe it will keep you from being absent and angry and apathetic. Now, every week at Velocity, we, we take communion. So in a couple of minutes, we're going to uh, see a video. And we'd love for you guys to get up and, and see one of the communion tables and, and spend some time alone with God on this. But when we take communion, it's, it's a picture of, of what Christ did for us. And before he went to the cross, he prayed a prayer kind of like Kind of like what Paul prayed. He said, God, will you let this cup pass from me? Will you let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but yours be done? He said that in the same sentence. You know, please, God, if there's any other way to bring about the forgiveness and life that 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 God wants to infuse all of humanity with, is there any way to do this without me going to the cross and and taking on the, the physical and more so that the emotional and spiritual pain of becoming sin and taking on all the sins from all of human history upon himself. Is there any other way to do this? Will you please let this cup pass from me? But he says, but not my will, but your will be done. You know, he, he wanted his prayers answered, but he wanted God's will for his life more than that. And what was the promise? What was the promise attached to that pain that Christ was going to endure? I think John 3.16 gives us some clues for God so loved the world. God so loved the world, God so loved you and me. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That was the purpose attached to his pain. And so forgiveness and life is available to every single human being now because of that. And God said no to Jesus, same way he said no to Paul, same way he says no to us a lot. Uh, but he said no to Jesus, and you know, if you think about it, aren't you grateful, aren't you glad that God said no to him? Yeah, we, we have forgiveness in life because of that. And so begin to see your pain with a purpose and with a promise. Um, it will help you show up in life. Let me pray for us. God, first of all, thanks for saying no to Jesus. Thank you for sending your only son to this planet that he could endure the cross and, and becoming sin in our place, for providing forgiveness and life to us through that cross and the resurrection. Uh, none of us are deserving of that. Oh God, we also thank you for being a God who is not absent. Who is so close to us, just closer than we can even dare imagine? And God, we pray for all of us who are going through struggles, hardships, adversity. Uh, we pray, God, that you would be near to us, that you would teach us whatever you want you want us to learn from that. You would um, change our minds and help us to rely on you, to help us have faith in you. Uh, Show us what we need to to do from that and help us to to rest in that, to have faith in you, to cling to you through that, to just bask in your love through all of that. God, be our hope, be be our love. We ask these things in your name. Amen.